All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I hate to break the fishing news after your M-check, but I'd like to speak about the ice hockey. Congratulations, you're one of the 13 listeners of the Real Life Podcast. We just traded a migraine in for, like, an orgasm. Might want to mark that down, your M-check. Yep. All of my projects are on schedule until they're not. A member of the Nation Network of Podcasts. About as funny as we're going to get today. Welcome in episode 225 of the Real Life Podcast. I'm Tyler Yaremchuk, joined by Bagged Milk and Jay. A bit of a short staff this week, but that's because we're going to be joined by a very special special guest in about 20 minutes. Harner Ryan Singh will join the podcast. Uh, we'll intro him a little bit better later on, but... Uh, the voice of Hockey Night in Canada, Punjabi. And uh, if you ever heard that Nick Benino call, you know who Harner Ryan is. He's got a book out right now as well. So really excited to chat with him a little bit. Uh, but first, Bag Milk, Jay, boys, how was your weekend? Wonderful. I mean, I, I did, a, I had a, well, I guess we'll just jump right into it. I had an excellent betting weekend outside of my lock of the week for, uh, for the foosball because your Bills can't beat the fucking Jets by enough points. That was so annoying. I watched that whole game. I watched every fucking field goal go through the uprights and the couple that didn't. And as someone, like I teased the bills down on a lot of my parlays to six and a half. So they covered for me. Um, But I had a couple where I took them straight up to win by 12. I, I put a couple bets on them to just smoke the Jets and they didn't. That was so disappointing. For me though, big shout out to uh, Scott Hastings from Odd Shark for for bringing up the Khabib winning by submission for the UFC this weekend. Yeah. Cause I just put, I put a couple of units down on that one and it was plus 200. So shout out to Scott Hastings for that one. Scott knows his shit, man. Oh yeah. He does. He does. 
I'm I also, to, to be honest, I also pulled a couple of Scott's football bets that also hit for me. Yeah, he went two so, for three. Oh, yeah, Scott's making me some money this weekend. We are talking to Rich Bag Milk. That's right. DJ Bag Milk has got all the money in the world. <laughs> some walking around money. Excellent. Absolutely. Um, um, yeah, it was uh, that. You don't want to hear about my weekend? Oh, or sorry, yeah. I, yeah, go, Jay. Or just Bag Milk just won a bunch of money and now he's rich and we don't right. care for me anymore. That's <laughs> exactly what uh, well, my weekend wasn't as interesting. Uh, I watched the Browns game, thankfully way more entertaining than your Bills game. Uh, but that was a weird game too, but the Bills pulled it off and OBJ got hurt in like the weirdest oh. situation ever trying to defend a pick after Baker threw a horrific ball. Uh, and then you can just watch him like it's, it was, it's the weirdest thing. So they're down OBJ. So that fucking sucks. Um, aside from that, uh, yeah, my weekend was chill. I didn't place. Oh no, I did place a bet. So me and my buddies, we always go on a fantasy football trip, uh, and we go to a new NFL market every year and blah, 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 blah. But part of the experience is on Saturdays, we have a college day and throughout our travels, we've really resonated and connected with Iowa Hawkeyes fans. So we're Iowa Hawkeyes fans. Like, see, like, de facto Iowa Hawkeyes fans. We can always sniff them out when we go to, it doesn't matter what city we're in the States. We'll always, we'll always cling on to some Iowa Hawkeye fans. We'll go watch the game on Saturday, have a blast. So their first game of the season, dumped a bunch of money on there because how can they lose to Purdue? Well, they fucking lost to Purdue. So uh, bag milk's rich and I'm poor. Well, what is that? I'm, I want to go back to your football trip though because you do it every year. Yeah. Obviously that's not happening this year or what? What's the plan on that? Well, we're, we're restricted. We can't travel. Probably can't even get into a building that we want to go to. Uh, so what we're going to do this year is our football trip is on the Sunday. There's a Sunday in December. We're going to deem our football trip day. And we're just going to have a weekend. A staycation, if you will. Yeah, just the staycation is nice. Yeah. Well, it's so, a bummer, though. Uh, it, it, it is a bummer. Like, it's something that we look forward to. And it's we have so much fun doing it. But... Uh, yeah, whatever. We'll wait till next year. Thanks, Corona. Yeah. yeah. Not the beer. You're delicious. No kidding. No. Tyler, kidding. how'd you do? I know you were betting. Oh, yeah. Was I ever betting? Um, I, <laughs> I've been, because my problem is, you know, I always like betting heavy on the bills and, you know, halfway through Sunday, I always start live betting and all that stuff. So uh, what I did at the beginning of the year is I put some money into uh, a Bodog account and it was a fresh Bodog account. I put X amount of money. I said, I'm going to keep myself to my units. And I'm not going to bet any more than what my units are. Like, I'm just going to be smart. Only the bets I research and tried to take, you know, well, the Scott Hastings approach, which is don't bet with your heart, bet with your head, be smart about it. Um, and I started the year like 12 and two. It was unreal. I could not be touched. Uh, and then I really cooled off, but I swept it this week. I went five for five with the bets on, uh, on that account. So I was feeling good about myself. I, uh, I also play a lot I, of daily fantasy and I just, I'm so frustrated with it. I think I might quit DraftKings. I'm mad. <laughs> oh, I had a big, big DK weekend. And by big, um, I'm a little gung shy because I cleaned up my count earlier this year. So I'm only entering like $3, $5 draft rooms. So my, but I, I, I had, I placed in uh, three of my four drafts I was in this, oh, this weekend. So Adam boy, I, did a nice little live bet, Jay. I think you would appreciate on the Browns as they were trying to defend that late push from Cincy. And then I was just like, oh, shit. They went down and scored. I was like, bet lost. Browns came through for me on the live bet. 
I was oh, yeah. winning money all over the place this weekend. How about that? Like, how about that shot they took to win the game? Yeah. Unbelievable. Risk I, I almost turned it off because I'm like, ah, oh, shit, there goes a bet, whatever. But I was like, I'll ride it through. I'm an Oilers fan. I've seen weirder things happen. Pulled it out. I almost live betted Tennessee coming back against um, Pitt. They were like nine and a half to one. Mm, yeah, they were on the they were on the move. They're on the move. Oh, I'm glad I didn't. But wow, if I did, that would have been fun. Yeah, on the field goal right at the end. Tyler, how'd we do in like the overall podcast pick on this weekend? I believe we went two and two. So uh, Chalmers nailed his. He had the Packers and they covered. They Aaron Rodgers was on fire this weekend. Yep. My um, fantasy QB. Yeah, a good weekend to have Aaron Rodgers on your fantasy lineup. Uh, I also took the Chiefs, and the Chiefs won for me. Remember, I wanted to take the Bills, but Bag Milk took the Bills, so I went with the Chiefs. Uh, Jay, you took the Browns. That's a crushing way to not cover that minus three and a half. Uh, them winning by three, the Bills. Uh, oh, were they? I thought, I thought they were minus three. I thought they were minus three. No, nah, if the line you, move. If you went off of, uh, I always go. I go I on Odd Shark, and then I read the Bodog line. That's the first one listed on Odd Shark. Um, so we mm-hmm. went two and two. So our record on the year fourteen and fourteen. We're five hundred picking against the spread, which honestly isn't bad. We'd only be down a, a little bit of money here if we were actually betting all of them. <laughs> uh, Scott Hastings absolutely nailed the L.A. Jacksonville over. Over that was a shootout. He missed the Philly Thursday night spread, and he nailed the Arizona Sunday night spread. Um, That game last night, holy fuck. No one wanted to win that football game. That game was interesting. Scott Hastings knows his betting. He does. And we talk to him every Thursday, and he can help you know your betting even better. It's like a free advice segment, pretty much. He's giving you ways to make money. Now, that comes up on Thursday. Again, we'll be, uh, we got a special guest coming up in about 15 minutes time today. We might even have a second special guest on Thursday. I'm working at uh, lining that up as well. It's the off-season, which is when you want to be uh, having some different conversations. Um, speaking of the off-season, we... Oh, what's up? I was just going to say, like, I jumped on Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Friday night, and we were just kind of talking about how it's weird that we're kissing the end of October here. And it's still the NHL offseason. It's just so bizarre. It's thrown my timeline completely off. This is usually the absolute best sporting time of the year. You're getting the end of the World Series. The NFL is in full swing. NBA is just about to start. Hockey's been underway for a couple weeks. This is usually the absolute best. And now we're getting ready for a month of November that will feature NFL three days a week and one weekend where we'll get the Masters. And like that's it for the sports calendar coming up. And even the Masters, it's going to be weird watching it in November. I'm going to be kind of happy though, because like for me, I, you know, especially in, in the mornings on the weekends, I'm, I'm hunkered down. So I'm kind of looking forward to it, but it, yeah, it will be weird. It's all weird. I do love watching golf. It's been the one thing over the course of the pandemic that I picked up and I've ran with. It's an exciting sport to bet on and just watch in general. What are you know. betting on when it comes to golf? Uh, you can bet on a ton of stuff. So like a lot of the sites will have head to head matchups. So, like, you can bet on DeChambeau to beat Xander Shoffley in round two. And you can bet on it that way. You can bet on who's going to be the leader at the end of every round. You can bet on guys to come top, or win, come top three, top five, top 10, top 20, top 50, all that kind of stuff. You can bet wow. uh, You can bet guys over-under for a round. So, like, will, will Tiger Woods shoot over-under 71 and a half? And you can, like, bet on that. The world of betting is endless, really. You really are my favorite degenerate. 
I dip my toes in everything. I, I take pride in that. I can't wait till you're really letting the wheels fall off and it's just like, I've been betting on ping pong in South Korea or whatever. See, I, need, like to, I need to know the names a little bit to bet. Like, I'll, I'll never, like, I know guys who are like, oh, yeah, there's a Division three soccer game. I read on uh, Reddit that it's an absolute lock. We should hammer it. And I'm like, well, I'm not doing that because I'm not getting enough enjoyment out of it. Like, that's just like fishing trying to make money. Whereas, like, I like betting on stuff that I'm watching and it gives me a horse in the race kind of thing. Well, you ever seen those? You ever seen those people that buy scratch tickets and they instead of playing the game, because a scratch ticket yeah. really all they have to do is punch in the serial. They just scratch the serial code to get it scanned and not actually play the game. The like, worst, man. I like to. I, I like to. I like the twenty minutes it takes for me to scratch out the bingo card yep. to find yeah, out. I, I, I was gonna say I like the illusion of thinking I'm gonna win some money on a scratch ticket. It's just yeah. like, oh my god, I've got three numbers, and then that's all you get. Yeah, I buy them for entertainment value. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. What's the most money you've ever won on a scratch ticket? $100. I only got five. I had a buddy win a G about a year ago. That was cool. Fuck, That's I have cool. I have one buddy who's won like two months in a row. He's texting me and been like, I just won 150 bucks on a scratch ticket. But also, I think he buys a lot of scratch tickets. So I think 150 is just helping with his dent a little. I love scratch tickets, though. You're right. The, my favorite one, there's a new one. It's a $5 crossword. And you get to do the crossword, and then there's a code at the bottom that lets you play another crossword game online that you can win on. That's the best one. Double dipping. The next layer. I used to uh, well, have a bag mail list of before your time. There was a donut shop in uh, in Collingwood Mall um, that uh, was used called it was called Sir Donut. And on Sundays we would be sixteen, seventeen. We'd go there on Sundays and just crush a dozen donuts. And they would never ID us, and we would just buy scratch tickets. And that was our uh, Sunday. We'd go with like $7, and you could buy $1 scratch tickets. you just play, win scratch tickets. And then, yeah, you'd have a buddy win like 50 bucks, and you thought he was the richest guy in the world. But scratch tickets and donuts together have a huge, play a huge role in my, uh, my upbringing. That's a magical combination. Although now I'm thinking about betting and how we've done over the last little bit. Jay, I'm glad that we didn't put any money on our big brother picks of Tyler and Kaser at the beginning of the season. Uh, I just refuse to pick the obvious. Like, wasn't Cody like the favorite right from the get go? I don't remember what Scott had for us from Odd Shark, but yeah, it, Cody was the favorite. It, I mean, yeah, I just I wanted to read. It is. It I really, is. I really want to find those betting odds that Scott gave I'm us. I'm really getting annoyed now that the editing on Big Brother has is going every week has led me to believe that something exciting is going to happen and then the very obvious outcome happens. Uh, they have to try time. to make it entertaining. Like yeah. that's how bad it is. They're trying to manufacture something to get you at least somewhat excited. But like it's 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 the writing's on the wall and that's the unfortunate thing. So it'll be interesting to see who wins this HOH. Like that's the last potential you know, what's outcome. What's really working in Cody's favor here is that Enzo appears to be petrified of sitting next to Nicole in the final two for like whatever, like I know she's a past winner, but like, dude, she's not beating you. Like, I don't think she would beat Enzo. Um, and, or I shouldn't say that Enzo has a better chance beating Nicole than she does Cody. But I think it's kind of a lock that Enzo would bring Cody. Cody would bring Enzo. I think, um, and Nicole, I that that what would make the finale night interesting for me is if Nicole won that last comp, and she had to choose yeah. between Cody and Enzo. 
Because that's basically if she, her. Nicole wants to win. If Nicole wants to win, the only thing she because she's a former winner, so that puts her behind the eight ball. But the only thing because nothing's happened this season. If she if she clips Cody, and then can then go and then pitch like I clip Cody, because there's one thing you know that is a certainty in this world is Enzo is going to butcher his speech. Yeah. Oh, he's great. He is going to butcher his speech. So if you can sit beside him and say, I clipped Cody and just sit down, you've won. It's the last four or five weeks have just been so annoying to me on this, on this show. There has been opportunities for big moves and nobody has taken why Cody is still in the, in like in the final three without ever seeing the block once is shocking to me why is everybody so scared of making a big move this this season i don't get it and there honestly wasn't even a lot of plotting against him throughout the year like they didn't show it at very many moments where people were sitting there being like ah cody's playing a great game like we should probably look to get him out like the only one who ever really said it i think was like fucking danny and then they all get to jury and they're like whoo cody is running away with this thing a real good game like and it's like how did you not lose his game to lose yeah, his social game, I guess, is is just been unreal. And in, in his season, he kind of got overshadowed a little bit, I feel, like Derek, because at times it just felt like Cody was beasting these comps and then just doing whatever Derek told him to. But he's actually been a really, really solid player like on his own as kind of a leader this year on the season. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, we got five minutes before we get to Harner Ryan Singh, Hockey Night in Punjabi, author of the book One Game at a Time. Uh, but before we get to that, we haven't talked about the Chris Russell deal at all. Um, we talked about it a bit on Oilers Nation Radio, but Jay, I haven't gotten your take on it yet. Um, good deal. You like that extension move? Well, yeah. So it, it, it's it's hard not to like. I, I, let me let me let me preface this. I am a Chris Russell supporter. Um, I'm obviously not not in uh, in love with the four million dollar cap hit, but. If you can get that guy to the playoff, he will he will earn his worth. Um, so as a player, I like him. But the whole purpose of why they did it, I totally get it. It's a, a expansion protection move, uh, and you know we extended him for low money. So for us, it's it's such a the, 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 there's there's no real risk to us, and it's kind of just protecting ourselves and setting ourselves up properly for the expansion. So I don't know. I'm fine with it. Yeah, I, I really don't think, and you even saw like the Chris Russell haters online. I didn't even see very many complaints from them. Like yeah. it, it kind of just everyone felt, seemed to get it. Yeah, it, it's a move Ken Holland made that just made a lot of sense, and I think it kind of yeah. sets them up well as they as they go through the next calendar year here. And at one point two five, I really like Chris Russell at that dollar amount. Like it takes me from oh he's overpaid and they have to find a way to move him before the start of next season to. You know what? Just with Clefbaum going on LTIR, suck it up with Chris Russell for another year, and all of a sudden you're getting a value option in, in on your third yeah. pairing or as your seventh D-man. And, and he can play both sides. That doesn't get talked about enough either. He doesn't play the one side particularly well, but he's competent in it. And having that too, like as a seventh defenseman, if you can slide in, handle hard minutes, play just safe hockey, and play both sides at 1.25, that's like a perfectly built seventh defenseman. To me, the most interesting part about the extension was the moment after Puckpedia.com tweeted the initial rumor <laughs> that an extension was coming for Chris Russell. From that point up until the dollars were actually announced, you know, two, three, four hours later, 
that little window in between was fascinating to watch on social media <laughs> because the anger was bubbling up as if we were all just preconditioned for something horrible to happen. And then, like you said, when the number came out, 1.25, everybody was like, oh, yeah, that's about right. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> it just kind of like completely de-escalated and the air was all out of the balloon. It was really funny, that window, that just short window. If you go into, Cam Lewis wrote about it on The Nation, the rumor that is. So he says, Puckpedia is saying that this could happen as early as today. The comments in that one were very angry compared to the comments in my article where I actually put out the release that it had happened with the numbers. It was, it was really funny to watch. It was peak Oilers fans. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's amazing though, when a player has the right contract, how they've now become bulletproof. Like now you love yeah. them and there's no like, but when they're tied to an anchor of a contract, it's just people aren't willing to look at the good it's of a, the player. It's they're like Lucic so too, right? Like if Lucic, Lucic would have been signed for two mil, he would be here. He would have a letter on his jersey, and there oh. would probably be just as many Lucic jerseys in the stands as like Nugent yeah. Hopkins there, or Cassian or whatever. There'd be a street named after. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's so funny. Like it also shows. That's why I love Oilers fans because Oilers fans are so passionate about this team that mm. even the idea of overspending on an extension was enough to put some people into the stratosphere, and I love it. That's why I love and the passion from Oilers fans in general. It was a lot of fun. That was a fun day on social media. I also just love, it shows how like jaded Oilers fans are that like an extension for Russell comes down <laughs> and everyone's like, holy fuck, this is going to be for like $3 million, isn't it? This is going to be a terrible move. Probably another no movement clause too. But uh, you got to remember, it's not Pistol Pete at the helm anymore. Who I'm personally a huge yep. fan of. Uncle Ken. Yeah, right. Uncle Ken just systematically making us better. Uh, we're going to talk about being an Oilers fan with our next guest as well, Harn Ryan Singh from Hockey Night in Punjabi. Before we get to our big guest, should probably give some love to our friends at Twig and Berries, a good local company that makes and sells quality products. They got a line of underwear called Nutsack. I uh, definitely think you should try them out because they are incredibly comfortable. And if you want a pair, you can use the promo code NATION15 and get 15% off your order. Join now on the Real Life Podcast, episode 225 with... Harnarayan Singh, Hockey Night in Canada, Punjabi edition. Is that the right way to say it, Harnarayan, or is it Hockey Night in Punjabi? Uh, no, we kind of, um, Hockey Night Punjabi is a okay. short form way. And then if you really want to get technical, Hockey Night in Canada, Punjabi edition. But who, who has the time to say <laughs> that anymore? <laughs> uh, well, we really appreciate you giving us some time here today. I'm looking in uh, the background of your office there. You got a nice photo of you with Wayne Gretzky. Uh, we'll, we'll definitely talk about that. Um, when we were talking before the podcast started, we were like, okay, what do you guys want to talk about with them? And the list is long. There's a ton we want to get to with you. Uh, but the book, One Game at a Time, first off, congrats on releasing a book. Uh, what kind of made you want to do that? Was there someone who pushed you towards it? Uh, what was that process kind of like? Well, thanks for, uh, for the kind words. Um, and, you know, in the first week, we hit a national bestseller level, which was just amazing uh, to see in terms of the idea. Love it. <laughs> yeah. In terms of the idea for the book, it uh, wasn't mine, actually. It was uh, a fellow who works at the publisher, uh, McClellan and Stewart, uh, by the name of Joe Lee. And he is of Korean descent. Interesting storyline along with it that uh, he's from Oshawa, Ontario, originally. And he, he, he pitched it because he feels like there's so many parallels to other people of color and diversity uh, whose story that this would resonate with. 
in terms of hockey what is what brought people together in their lives and and that's kind of uh, that's my story uh, in in a nutshell there but um, obviously there's so much more to it when they asked me to write the book I didn't I didn't know I've never really given myself much credit uh, and uh, I said well who's gonna buy a book about me and here we go it's a bestseller but uh, you know, in terms of the message of what's going on right now in the world, this book became even more timely um, with just, you know, the message about racism and diversity and inclusion. And uh, but just just how hockey really brings us together. And, and that's kind of the message about this. It's defying the odds, uh, a positive message of diversity through the through the lens of a hockey broadcaster. And, you know, I, I, owe, a lot, I owe a lot to the game of hockey. And this is a good way to tell that story. Let's so talk. he, he talked about the timing of the book being so it's interesting that it came up. When did the journey kind of start on the process, kind of from the idea to when you first sat down and started putting some words together? Yeah, it's a long drawn out process. This being my first book, um, I, it was two to three years ago now. Um, and, uh, you know, when we first uh, talked about it, there's so many different ideas you have, but really, um, you know, I've written for the Players Tribune before and, um, there's been some other uh, really cool media, New York Times, HBO, and, and things. And so we wanted, wanted to kind of uh, encapsulate the story of uh, growing up in southern Alberta in the town of Brooks. And I'm born in Wetaskiwin, so uh, uh, there's the Edmonton connection there. My first ever gift was a mini hockey stick that said Northlands Coliseum on it. Uh, and just to be able to share that story of growing up in the, in the 80s when Gretzky and the Oilers were so... Um, you know that was that was probably one of the most amazing times to grow up in in Canada, as, and especially in Alberta as a hockey fan, and how that fueled my passion. And then, and then to be able to tell the story, even of my parents and my family when they first came to Alberta, uh, my parents came in the 1960s and the struggles they went through, and 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 the the good times that they had. I mean, Halloween, we're kind of around that time frame. Um, in the fall here, and uh, you know they didn't even know what Halloween was when they first showed up in uh, Alberta as teachers, and and to be able to tell that kind of family history, and then the and then the passion for hockey and how it's all come to fruition now, thirteen seasons in with Hockey Night Punjabi. You also uh, there was one question that I want to know is I see the Oilers stuff, it, you know, you with Wayne Gretzky there, but you spent some time in Brooks, was there? Was there ever a moment that's right outside Calgary where you almost thought about switching sides? <laughs> uh, it's uh, you know it's it's it was one of those things like Gretzky was so it was hard not to be a Gretzky fan in those days. Um, I would say, and I talk about it in the book, um, you know, quite specifically about how the allegiances changed very quickly. In 1988, I was in kindergarten that. That September, my my kindergarten class picture, I'm wearing an LA Kings Gretzky sweater. And, uh, you know, the only kid in my class who would show up to class picture day wearing a hockey sweater, right? So uh, it, I, the obsession was so strong. And, it, and it, you know, when it switched from the Kings to the Blues, which, albeit really brief, we were, my sister and I were so excited, though, because we watched Gretzky play all those all-star games with Brett Hall on his wing and it was like, this is just a, you know, a dream come true that we were going to see them together. And then still remember when, uh, when Grant Fuhrer got taken out to those playoffs and then John Casey had to be in net and then, and Gretzky and, and all of them lost, 
to the Red Wings, and then and then you know to the Rangers, and and I'll talk about you know the 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 Flames side of things. I mean, I remember being at the very last game that Gretzky ever played in Calgary uh, as a New York Ranger in 1999, and um, we we followed him around from his hotel to practice and got an autograph and everything, and. Um, we were on cloud nine. He signed a plaque. Uh, I had a plaque of him in a King's uniform. And then um, we were all decked out number 99 greatest of all time. We had the signs and flags and jerseys. And then even the pregame warm up, he gave us a wave and, and everything. And, and, and two and a half minutes to go in that game, the Flames fans stand standing ovation for two and a half minutes straight. They are standing, cheering and chanting Gretzky, Gretzky, Gretzky. Pretty cool moment in rival territory, enemy territory. Um, you know, my wife is a diehard Flames fan. Uh, we we have a Battle of Alberta in our in our household. Yeah. Uh, but but uh, we also I I also work for the Flames now. It's six seven seasons in where we've created Flames TV Punjabi. I'll throw it out there. I pitched that to a lot of teams, <laughs> uh, and the Flames picked it up. So it's really cool to, you know, when you're a broadcaster now, you're not necessarily a fan of one team. You're a fan of storylines and, and things. So everything has changed, but you, I mean, I can't hide it anymore that the Oilers helped fuel the passion when I was, you know, a young kid in Brooks. You talk about, uh, you know, the moment following Gretzky, all that stuff. And we're looking at the picture of him behind you there. You, you talked about it a bit in the, or you talked about it in the book. I shouldn't say a bit. Um, what was it like sort of the first time meeting him and what have some of the interactions you've had with the great one been like? Yeah, it was, uh, I mean, the obsession was so real. I, I tell some stories that, uh, so my parents used to celebrate our birthdays with making this special pudding. Um, and we used to do a prayer and, you know, January 26th comes along, I'm in grade two or three. And I say to my mom, Hey, it's Gretzky's birthday. Can we make the same Rashad that you make on our birthdays? And, Little did Gretzky know we were having a prayer for him on every year in January 26th for how many years in Brooks. And, you know, even for supper time in our household, like my parents are people of faith and they passed that along to us. And before we have supper, we, we, we do a prayer to say thanks for the food. We have a prayer room. We've always had one in our, wherever we've lived. And so they would send me in with the plate of food and little did they know I would be like Cujo was in net and all those years when the Oilers played uh, Dallas, how many years in a row and the Colorado one that went to game seven, like I would, I would be like secretly just praying, praying for the team and for Cujo and Ryan Smith and all that Todd Marchand's like uh, overtime goal on the breakaway and those things. And like, a, there was a little part of me inside thing like, wow, it's working, you know, like <laughs> I just, I was such a kid who like, I didn't realize it at the time, but I was marrying so many parts of like, uh, my faith with my, with the game of hockey all the time. And, um, you know, in terms of Gretzky specifically, uh, there was the obsession was so strong. And then when we, when we, whenever we had a chance to meet him as fans and we went above and beyond taking time off school and figuring out where he's staying. And even when he retired charity golf tournaments, he was always even better than advertised. He was so kind. He was polite. He gave everyone so much time and respect. And, um, there was so many moments like that where it was just, it was phenomenal. We have a picture with Gretzky uh, at a charity golf tournament in Edmonton. And uh, the year after we had it with us and we saw him in Calgary and he signed that picture for us. So just imagine my sister and I obsessed Gretzky fans. And we have that, a picture with Gretzky that he has autographed. 
And then when I met him as a broadcaster at uh, NHL 100, I tell this story as well in the book that my colleagues from Hockey Night in Punjabi and I were sitting at a restaurant in LA having lunch. From the corner of our eye, we see Grant Fear there. And then we realized the person sitting in front of Grant Fear is Gretzky. Like from the angle that we were at in our booth, we're like trying to scope it out. And then we're like, how do we go up and like, can we disturb him right now? And, you know, their family and stuff was with them. And it's one of those fine lines. You're a member of the media, so you got to act professionally, right? But I'm like literally shaking in my seat. And lo and behold, Gretzky comes up to our table and says hello to us. Uh, and it was such a, that's the picture that I have in my office with him from that restaurant. And then I filled in for Gene Principe for the Oilers road trip the past season and uh, got to chat with uh, Gretzky in LA again. We walked over from the hotel to the Staples Center and just a phenomenal guy. So, so genuine, so down to earth. We're talking about one game at a time, my journey from small town Alberta to hockey's biggest stage. I want to go back a minute. Was it kind of those early moments when you were, Oilers obsessed, hockey obsessed, Gretzky obsessed, that kind of fueled your passion to want to be involved in hockey. And was it always journalism or uh, as to be an announcer? Was that always the goal? Well, you know, that's, that's, the, that's kind of that story of diversity in Canada. The, the family, when, when you're the first generation here, you're not playing hockey right away. You're not skating right away. Um, and so my parents didn't skate, my siblings didn't skate, uh, but it was, you know, we were so obsessed with hockey as fans. And um, as you can probably tell from this interview, I'm very talkative and tell almost too many details. And uh, so I think naturally I was, there was an inclination towards the broadcast side. I didn't see myself as being, you know, any potential of being an NHL hockey player. I played a lot of ball hockey, tons of ball road and ball hockey and stuff, but it was the obsession of, you know, the, the hockey card collection wasn't just a collection, like all these, the jersey numbers, memorizing all sorts of facts. Like my dad was, he's a PhD in math, and he used to drive up to Edmonton to help create the questions for the Math 12 diploma exams. Like, I mean, if you guys are through and through Albertans, you probably wrote some of the, uh, and had to answer some of the questions he designed. He would drive up to Edmonton for many years to do that. And he would ask me, like, you're making your brain into this encyclopedia of hockey. Like, what are you going to do with all this information? And when I would say I want to be a hockey commentator, it was often met with like a sarcastic laugh from people, um, whether it was family friends or professionals like our family doctor or just anyone I would talk to, they would say that, um, you know, that's okay, that's your dream, but what do you really want to do? And the, and the reason for that was there wasn't any diversity in sports TV, especially sports radio uh, back in the 80s and the 90s. It, it just didn't, there, those doors hadn't been broken yet. And so I was, I was always kind of cautioned from doing this. Uh, and the town of Brooks gave me an opportunity on the local radio station. I walked in with a friend um, and they, they allowed us to do high school news and sports. And it, we, it was a popular segment and we got sponsors and everything. And then I started to think that if a small town like Brooks with such little diversity, if they can give me a shot, then maybe somebody else will. And I just kind of just gave it a shot just because of that and uh, went to broadcast school. And then from things, from there, things kind of started to fall in place. And, Eventually, this thing fell out of the sky named Hockey Night Punjabi, which we never would have imagined would even exist. Uh, and then here we are now, 13 seasons in. 
I, I want to talk. What do you remember? Uh, what do you remember from your first game, the first game for Hockey Night, Punjabi? Like, what were, what was kind of going through your mind? I imagine the nerves were going crazy, but also the excitement. What was that like for you? It, we just think about this. Our very first game was a Stanley Cup final, uh, Detroit Pittsburgh, two thousand and eight. Um, it was really, it was, there had never been ice hockey called in Punjabi before we had to figure out, I had lists upon lists of every term I could think of in English to try to create, um, to any, I was trying to practice talking hockey in Punjabi. I never thought this would even, um, be something that would be possible. So there was tons of nervousness, tons of excitement. Um, and then that whole entire week, we just, it, it was incredible in terms of, the response from the community, the response from the media, and it, it just felt so Canadian. It felt like it gave the community a sense of accomplishment that we've made it as Canadians now here. This is our, you know, it, it almost kind of, it stamped, it put it in a stamp that, okay, we're, we're participating in the, in the fabric of Canadian culture through hockey, but this show being something that, you know, CBC Sports had had given an opportunity to us. It almost validated us as Canadians. It was really significant, and it and it felt really special at the time too. But you know, it was just a pilot project. It was just something they were doing, probably as a one-off. Uh, little did we know that it was going to continue on and you know become something so big. For you, you you talked about you know saying at a young age you wanted to be a hockey commentator and getting the sarcastic laughs because there wasn't someone almost to look up to in that area. For you, like reflecting on that, you're now the role model that the next kid is going to look at. How, how special is that to you? How much does it mean to you to, to play that role? It's really special. And it's, it's so rewarding when I go to talk to high school and university students and, and get that feedback that, you know, people of color. And even when I go back to my town of Brooks and I've talked to high schoolers there, uh, and, and kids saying that they, they might, they never would have thought that there would have been a chance in this type of an industry. And then seeing me there, it gives them that hope. It's, it's really special to be able to, and that's kind of my message to other youth out there too, is that if someone like myself who was told so many times that it wouldn't be possible, if I can make it, whatever your dreams and aspirations are, we're so lucky to be in Canada where these opportunities are available to us. Like you just, you need to work hard. And if, and if you, you know, if you put in a good effort and you're honest at it, uh, you know, chances are that things can come to fruition. And, and I would say like, even look at what's going on in the States. Would this have been possible in the United States? Hell no. Like, would this have been possible even in like Eastern Asia and things like that? I, I don't think so. This is, we're very, Canada is an example to the word, world that it can work. And in this, in Hockey Night Punjabi is such a beautiful example because it, it's impact, it's made impact into the community as well, uh, but it's also growing the game. Like there's so many different facets about it. We've met um, couples who have said that they wouldn't have put their kids into minor hockey had it not been for the show. Grandparents say that they have a connection with their grandkids because they are familiar with the game and they, three generations sit together and watch on Saturday nights. Like, there's been the, the impact has been so tremendous, and for me to be a part of it all is just a thrill. Uh, so it's like I, you said. Sorry, go ahead, Jack. Well, I just um, I'm just going to interject because we're looking at uh, Harner Ryan's office, and there's so many amazing trinkets in there that we have not discussed, like the Wayne Gretzky's Pro Star cereal box in the corner. Yeah. Your M Chuck, that's way before your time yeah. at, at Generation, but <laughs> yes, that's to me, yeah, like that is an amazing piece of nostalgia there, but. 
Um, something, you know, the energy and passion you guys bring to your broadcast. Like, I, I just wish that somebody that would, that, that the, the rest could follow because I think, you know, that leads to the, the whole Benito, Benito, Benito moment. Like the fact that you, you, you bring so much passion and energy to that. And the fact that like so many people recognize that and how that resonated with the whole hockey community, not just Penguins fans, like that must've been like a rock star moment. <laughs> it's a it's a once in a career thing and you know so many commentators and broadcasters don't even it's not common that you even experience something like that as a broadcaster to to be a part of a team Stanley Cup championship celebration and and the following that we had there is such a rock star moment you hit the nail on the head I mean the team even rolled out the red carpet for us first and foremost I mean I, I get into detail about how we surprised the the players in the dressing room as they're getting ready for their Stanley Cup team picture and how incredible of a moment that was. The coach, Mike Sullivan, coming up and saying how much they used our goal calls to amp up the players in video sessions. I mean, it's unbelievable. And then after we're, after the players in the Stanley Cup's introduced in front of 400,000 fans, it's us. We're up next and doing the Benino call. And it, it, it really proved to me the power of sport. I mean, if I reflect back on it now from a lens of diversity, there wasn't much at all in that Pittsburgh parade of 400,000 people. Um, and, and if I were to have gone to downtown Pittsburgh uh, on a normal day without that, I probably maybe would have experienced some, you know, different, uh, I would have had a very different experience, I'd imagine. But there we received so much love and there were signs, Benino Benino signs everywhere, but there was even some signs from people that said, we love hockey night Punjabi. And it was such, it just proved the power of sport that it can really bring us together. Um, but that like Nick Benino and I are lifelong friends. We have this unbelievable bond and almost, it just feels almost like it almost feels like destiny. Like I remember him saying, um, you know, thanks for making me famous. And I was like, you're the one who scored all the big goals. And, <laughs> and you talk about the enthusiasm. I mean, sports first and foremost, it is a, there should be an entertainment factor to it. There should be, I love when, like when Bob Cole was able to play up the drama of the moment in the, in the playoffs and the, and uh, you know, it's, it's a one goal game or you're in overtime. And I, I love being able to do that too, to play up the moment, the drama, the, the dramatic, uh, you know, pieces we have in the game. And, uh, and then our community is very vibrant. We're pretty loud. We love our music and food and we incorporate all of those characteristics into the call and, I think that's one of the reasons also why it's been so popular within the community and now beyond because of that Benino call. After the Benino call, like after you made that call in the moment, how long after was it where you kind of saw, whoa, this thing's taken off? It's pretty quick. Uh, there's actually multiple Benino calls that happened. Uh, the first couple were more popular, you know, and went viral within the Penguins. Uh, nation and uh, but then the Stanley Cup final one it kind of it was everywhere and and it was just you could see it on social media too of just like uh, we've never had a tweet or a post that got that much attention it was just like constantly uh, you know going on and on and on and then the media attention was just incredible uh, but then one of the Penguins TV hosts Selena Pompiani she was messaging me originally for an interview and then she started saying she's like you have no idea how big this is here like every single radio tv station they're just playing this like all day every day and then she's like you got to figure out how to come here 
for the parade if they win. And then uh, I eventually got an official invite from the team, from their VP of communications. And then we were like, this is a once in a lifetime moment. And then when we stepped foot into Pittsburgh, then we realized the cars are coming to a screeching halt. To, people are jumping out to get pictures with us. And it was just, it was incredible. Like I tell my wife, like probably <laughs> once a month that like, I wish she <laughs> saw me in my element in Pittsburgh during 2016. Cause I was like, you would look at me so differently if you knew how much of a rock star I was in Pittsburgh. <laughs> no kidding. Man, wow. That is unreal. Uh, what uh, man? I want to keep talking about the banana. It, like over under a thousand times in your life, have you been like come up to on the stream and like, can you do the call for me? Like, how many times in your life have you gotten that? Well, and I even asked. It's it's countless. And I asked Nick Benino this, and he said like it, opposition players uh, were saying that to him all over in the ice, friends, family, like anywhere. He, and he was talking about so many people who had that as the ringtone. I was getting like video of like so many people from all around uh, the world from like their kids doing the Benino call to everybody trying to emulate it. Like it was, it was huge. And then it was so big that we even went to Pittsburgh a year later when they had their outdoor game um, against the Flyers, just because it, it was such a cool moment. And again, when we were out there with all the fans outside the, the stadium, um, it was, it's, it's incredible. The amount of times, the amount of pictures, the amount of times we did the Benino call, it still happens. Like people ask me to do it still <laughs> all the time. It's I, who knows how long it'll last, but I'm, I'm reveling and I'm milking this till the, you know, as, as far as I can, why not? Well, I think, I think the next stage is, is going to be set when the Oilers, your Oilers, our Oilers <laughs> are in the Stanley cup finals. And I can't wait to hear what you got when McDavid scores a game winner. <laughs> yeah, I mean, wouldn't that be incredible? It's, uh, it's such a curse that uh, a team hasn't won uh, the Cup in Canada since 1993. And I mean, who, who, I, that whole entire discussion of what's been wrong with the Oilers for so <laughs> long, uh, this podcast would never end. Uh, it's <laughs> given me a lot of sleepless nights as a fan, <laughs> as a viewer too. For And it's just... It, you know, finally, finally, we have um, people from outside. Uh, I thought it was actually going to work when Shirelli came into the fold and then, oh, my goodness, everything <laughs> that just was a, a debacle, too. Right. But now, finally, with with Ken Holland and Dave Tippett here and you have some outside voices, I think fans had been yearning for that for so long. Um, but we got to get out of salary cap hell first before we can before you know the team gets more improved and it's such a different sport than basketball like you you doesn't matter if you have one or two superstars you need the full team and and you need the goaltend you need all of it together i mean for so long our penalty kill was just so horrendous i just like the the uh like the stats like how many years in a row can you have such a bad uh, special teams and the penalty kill. And I used to boggle my mind. Like, And finally, you know, Holland brought in players who specialized in that. And it was like, why couldn't this have been done so long ago? And, uh, you know, and then right away we saw the impact of that, that the special yeah. teams and especially the penalty kill was a lot better and it helped so much. But yeah, let's let's see what happens. The, if there's a Canadian division, though, it's going to be a lot tougher um, if if it sticks to a normal Pacific division and then you have the California teams not as good, then I think it's easier for the Oilers. But um, if it's a Canadian division, I don't like you know having to play the Flames and the Canucks and the Leafs so many times. It looks a little tougher in that sense then. 
I, well, I it's to... interesting you brought that up because yeah. it's just the all Canadian division is kind of a product of where we're at right now. Well, we were talking about one Stanley Cup final. I want to jump to another one. We just wrapped up the weirdest Stanley <laughs> Cup playoffs ever. What was it like for you, life in the bubble? Like, what was what was that like as an announcer and just being so out of the norm from what you're used to? No, I was lucky to be there with Louis DeBrusque and Chris Cuthbert, and 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 um, you know, for for a lot of it, it just felt like the games were being played for the three of us. Like there was literally nobody really else around. I was shocked at first. You know, I got asked to be a part of the qualifying round and got to do uh, some of those Oilers Hawks games and. It was remarkable that they were able to even pull this off with such few people uh, from from a broadcast element. I mean, we're used to having so many, like a separate audio guy, a separate video, and then, you know, even have someone to figure out how to get you from where to where through the concourse and all the fans. And there's just all this technical side. And it was, there's so many more kind of, everything was more robotic and they were doing everything remotely. I was originally worried that, like, if something goes wrong, like, technically, what the hell am I going to do, right? And um, and then, but it was it was eerie, I would say, without fans at first. It was very eerie because it was, like, it's such a different vibe. The one thing I will say is when, puck, when like, when after puck drop, like, if, even if you're at a game with fans, it's pretty quiet during play, except for the oohs and ahs. And then between whistles, you get that vibe again. So once once puck drop happened and the, the play was on, then you almost kind of forgot about it. And I'll also add this, saying that the quality of hockey, I thought, was quite phenomenal. In my opinion, when you're a player and you're stuck in the bubble, uh, but you're with your team the whole entire time, you you have less distractions. Like, you're more focused on the hockey at hand. And, and I, think, um, I think you could really tell. I'm not sure about for the Oilers, how focused they were <laughs> there around yeah. against the Hawks. That's another story. But when you, yeah. when you talk about the other teams, like uh, the Canucks and the Golden Knights and, and Dallas, and then Tampa Bay, obviously who had a really fairly easy time in the playoffs and did it all without Stamkos. And what a story that was. Yeah. A very, very different uh, Stanley cup uh, playoffs for sure. Any kind of moments or games or anything that stick out to you? Um, yeah, I mean, the first thing that comes up is the the pause and everything that happened with when the NBA decided to postpone games and then there was just this limbo of neither did the players know, neither did us broadcasters know, do we even have a game tomorrow? Do we have a game tonight? What's going on? Um, and all of a sudden you see Ryan Reeves and um, the other opposition players talking to one another about what should happen and then I, I still remember, and I probably won't, like that image will be stuck in my head forever in the Western Conference where you had all the players grouped together in that press conference and they're all standing united. That's, that was powerful stuff. Um, and I was asked to talk about it too on Sportsnet where they did a, a specific show that evening about it. And, and I remember seeing the comments, shut up and talk about hockey. We don't want to hear about this. And then and then, you know, I, I, my feeling right away was like, this is important to talk about. I mean, like if we're not, if we're not talking about this, this subject is not talked about in, in families who are sports fans, like in their households, like we need to talk about it. It's, it's not politics and hockey. It's just human, it's human rights. It's respect. And, and so uh, I thought that was a really significant moment, I would say, 
um, in the playoffs that stood out. The other, the other thing I would say is it was, it was so much more laid back where like I, we were doing the, um, we were doing the interviews off of zoom and there was more time to kind of banter banter with the players before and after the interview and things like that. So um, I had some cool moments uh, like that with Jonathan Taves and, and other players where we, I remember Max Pacioretty saying, cause I interviewed him pregame and he scored two goals. And then afterwards he's like, can you please interview me before every game now for the rest of the playoffs? And just some cool moments, even that Thatcher Demko, he's quite, he's a very fascinating uh, character and and I'm not surprised the Canucks were um, you know decided to um, make him the eventual number one. He's he's a very smart individual and to chat with him, he's so level headed and I he he's the type of guy who wouldn't let anything really phase him and so so I'm not surprised that they moved on. Hey, you guys almost got Markstrom. I'm sure you've talked about that. <laughs> yeah, we're kind of talking <laughs> about it like a bullet dodged almost. I think. I mean. Well, long, long contract, yeah. right? And the the only thing though is like he's got less miles on him he because he, you know, he's he he's come to like the the pedigree that he had. I mean, he's only been a number one goalie fairly recently, so he's got less miles on him. So I get that. But then the Holland used the rest of the cap space to improve the team elsewhere. So I I see both sides. It is fascinating you mentioned the miles on a goalie because you look at Markstrom and you're like, oh man, that's a guy, you know, maybe they get four or five good years out of him. It could work. And then you look at Brayden Holtby, who's like almost the exact same age. And it's like, ooh, back nine of the career for Holtby here. I wonder how many more good years he's got left in him. Like that that sort of age almost doesn't even exist when it comes to talking about goalies. Yeah, and you, I guess it's more just um, with Holpe too, the stats in the recent years, uh, you know, and, and meanwhile you have Markstrom who's really come into his own recently too. And, and Markstrom was literally like, he was the MVP of that team. I mean, they they may have had no business um, making the playoffs or, or doing the damage they did in the playoffs had it not been for him. And then in two games, Thatcher Demko comes and steals the show and, changes the whole entire conversation. I just found that so fascinating. It is also fascinating um, that, you know, um, I, I when Ken Holland was asked about it and he's, he comes across even in my interaction with him, like he's a very personable guy and, you know, you don't see him really getting upset too much, but I still remember the quote when they asked him uh, about Markstrom and he goes, well, you can ask him why he chose Calgary over us. And you could kind of tell like, there's a little bit of, uh, you know, he was probably a little bit bitter about that too, but it'll be interesting to see Markstrom and Tanev and Ned in Calgary and this whole dynamic, like the the West, the Western Canadian teams, the storylines are just endless. As if the Battle of Alberta needed any more juice after last year, hey? Those games will be <laughs> great moving forward for a long time. Well, well, that's 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 the reason to keep Mike Smith, right, is just because of that <laughs> fight, because he gave us so much uh, to talk about after that with Cam Talbot. Um, there's a ton of great stories in your book. Once again, it's, it's one game at a time. It, it's a bestseller. I highly suggest everyone listening to this podcast goes because the stories in there are fantastic. Uh, I don't want to dig into all of them because people should go read the book. But the one I want to talk to you about your first hockey night in Canada, English broadcast, you tell the story of you trying to interview Mike Babcock and all that. Like take us through that night and everything that led up to the night and the moment of trying to interview Babcock, like Man, that must have just been a whirlwind. Yeah, and you're just like you're a nervous wreck. You're so excited, and then um, I mean, I, I the morning I was 
at the pregame skates and taking all the info and prepping all my stories and everything. And then I had to do a, a live pregame interview hit into Sportsnet with Mike Babcock. And I, I show up, I'm, I'm there. I'm a little bit like usually late for everything in life in general. And I hit some traffic there and I was just sweating buckets, but I got in, like I got <laughs> into place like right when I needed to be. Uh, but yeah, literally I couldn't, like, I didn't know because it was my first game in that role. And so I didn't necessarily know how to navigate every single situation when things go wrong. And so I'm standing there, I'm in the exact spot. I'm, I'm emailing and I'm tr- I'm like, no one's around like for, for my side of things in terms of a camera guy, or, or even if I had a camera guy, where's my mic or anything like nothing was figured out. And lo and behold, uh, Leafs PR, they, they, here comes Mike Babcock. And obviously, you know, one of the bigger personalities in the coaching world and stuff, and he's got a stature and a presence and, uh, you know, Stanley Cup Olympic gold medal winning coach standing there. And I'm just like, I'm just like, yeah, I'm so like, I don't got anything yet. I, I'm just trying to figure this out and everything. Right. And, and then they're like, okay, we'll come back in, in two minutes. But the PR guy wasn't too happy about it. And then he, you know, they, they come back and I can see the PR guy trying to peer out into the hallway again. And I'm just, I'm just like, totally like, I'm trying to figure everything. And there was just some sort of misunderstanding behind the scenes of time between the team and, and, uh, and, uh, the producers and stuff. And so I got caught in the crossroads and I remember the Leafs PR guy coming back out there again and he brought, brings him out and he's like, if you, uh, he goes, if, if you can't figure out your shit and like, you know, third, more, one more minute or whatever I'm sorry there's no and I'm just like what a start right like my first ever game but thankfully <laughs> thankfully uh, I, uh right after that I saw this camera guy like running full speed with all his gear and he was just he was sweating buckets too and just in the nick of time but just imagine the nerves right you're standing there and you're just I was just shaking but it, it worked out I mean he's a nice enough guy to be understanding but the PR guys have to protect their their people too so I understand that part of it as well Again, from one game at a time, my journey from small town Alberta to hockey's biggest stage. How could we not ask about arguably the greatest chapter title ever? If yeah. you can make Connor McDavid laugh, you can do anything. <laughs> we talked a little bit about Wayne Gretzky. Now I want to talk about the next one. What is it like? Just kind of what is it like interacting with Connor? He's, you know, he's, like you said, if you can make him laugh, you can do anything. Yeah, my first ever, um, that's that's kind of the challenge that I was given. I had to host a, forget a hockey event, it was a clothing event with uh, McDavid and Ekblad. And that was the challenge uh, that was given to me by the, the brand Elevente Clothing in Toronto to, to try to make them smile and laugh. And I had to bring out my turban jokes, you know, <laughs> I, had to, I, had to, I had to say that, Hey, you were, we're talking about clothing here. You guys think you have it hard. And I was like, I've got to match the turban to my suits and ties too. Right. So it's a, it's a whole other ball game. And so that was, that was kind of what helped, but I mean, he's, you, you, I think everybody has to understand that in today's day and age, uh, to be a phenom and from that young of an age to have so much media attention. And, um, and I've seen it with him firsthand. Like when we were in LA for the NHL 100, like this guy can't go to Starbucks. He can't like, he can't do normal things that a normal person can do like pump gas or get grocery because he's just going to be inundated. And like, it, it's just, it was crazy to see that firsthand. So you can't blame a guy for being a little more, 
reserved. Uh, and, and so th- that's just his personality. He's very driven. He's very focused. Um, uh, you know, I, I would say losing probably frustrates him more than the average person. Uh, so you can't blame him for that. Uh, but, you know, I've, I've had some cool moments. I, I, I told him that, you know, my, my family and us as kids, we used to do all this stuff for Gretzky. So I said, I've got young kids now. It'll be interesting to see if they do the same for you um, and, and things like that. And I've, I've gotten to host a couple of events with him and seen him in the dressing room and things like that. But I mean, that he's just he's that type of a guy. He's so driven. Um, I remember seeing it when, uh, you know, Team North America, too. I think a lot of the success they had at the World Cup had to do with personalities like McDavid and Matthews, both kind of running the show there and how competitive they are. Um, but these guys, it's it's the world of social media now and you can't you can't escape it. Like, yeah, I, I don't know if you can go to a movie and just be Connor. He's Connor McDavid everywhere and he's in a city in a hockey mad city like Edmonton too it's a, it's not always the easiest thing to navigate of course you can justify it by you know 13 million dollars and things like that but at the end of the day we're all human um and that's that's kind of what they're dealing with all the time Harner Ryan Singh joining us on the real life podcast uh, a ton of just really really great stories in in the book and the last question i had for you i don't know if the other guys have one more but uh, is there one story that was it, it sort of tops the list for you that you got to share from a personal level? Like, is there one that when you put it in the book, you went, man, I'm really excited to get to share this with everyone? Yeah, that's a really good question. I'll give you credit there. I haven't been asked that one yet. Um, but I would say, you know, like um, one of the really cool stories that I've been able to share is uh, when Hockey Night Punjabi first began year two or three, we hadn't, we didn't, we knew it was popular, but we hadn't been able to go to the community and have an event or see at the grassroots level what, what the reaction was. And I remember being at our very first kind of promotional event, um, and it was uh, in Brampton, Ontario, and there was a lineup of people at this uh, branch of a bank, uh, and they were coming up to meet us. And uh, we were actually, it's kind of funny, there was so much traffic there. We were wondering what the hell was going on. And my colleague and I showed up and then we realized it was to see us. We had no idea, right, that the community would be so excited to meet us. And then so while we were meeting these viewers and getting to talk to them about the show, this grandmother, um, she was, you know, that old that she came in with a walker and she had her grandkids with her and she's wearing a Punjabi traditional uh, outfit uh, she's got a headscarf over her head and a traditional outfit. And then over top of that, she had a hockey jersey. She had a, a Leafs jersey. And um, she came over and I kind of, out of respect, uh, tried to even help her over. And she was emotional. And I said to her, I said, like, you know, is everything okay? And she goes, and she said to me in Punjabi so lovingly. And she said, Beta, like, oh, my son. She goes, you've changed my, my life. And I said, how is that possible? And she goes, um, you know, had it not been for Hockey Night Punjabi, I had no connection with my grandkids who are born here. And she said she immigrated from India. And she said it was just because she became a hockey fan through the show that her grandkids felt, oh, grandma's so cool now. She watches hockey and she became a fan of the sport. And she said it changed her whole relationship with her grandkids because there was a a generational gap, a technological gap, a a language gap. And, you know, this was the show that brought them together. And she just wanted, she, 
even though it was so difficult to, for her to come out there, but she wanted to come out to show her support and to say thank you. And I think that one really uh, pulled at the heartstrings too to to show how much this this uh, whole process has meant to to families. Yeah. Well, Last question that I've got is, and I hope I get this right, is in the early days, I read that you actually had to pay for your own airfare to get into Toronto sometimes because they just, CBC just didn't have the budget for it. And my question is, with the obstacles in your way, where did the drive come from for you to just keep pushing forward despite maybe every roadblock that was kind of trying to stop you? Yeah, I would say that um, up until Hockey Night Punjabi began, I was still like, I had a lot of self-doubt too, because there was so many people saying that, you know, me having a role in hockey in the broadcasting family wouldn't come to fruition. And then once Hockey Night Punjabi began, then it was like, okay, my foot's in the door. I used to have a, a postcard of everybody who worked at CBC Sports and Hockey Night in Canada on my fridge. And like, so every time I'm getting milk for my cereal, I'm looking at that thing and I was just like, I want to be there so bad. And then when I, when Hockey Night Punjabi started and we didn't know what the future was, at that point, that's where this drive came in. And it was just like, I'm going to do whatever it takes to be a part of this and to make this show successful. Because it's like, finally, foot's in the door. And so when they said that, hey, it was great that you called the Stanley Cup final. We want to do this every Saturday, the double doubleheader, but it's going to be based in Toronto. You live in Calgary. And I'm telling you, like... We were, it was, it was the, what we were being paid back in those days was you could not like live off of it by any means. And I couldn't afford to move to Toronto and the cost of living and everything just to do this for on Saturdays. And so I, I had to just say, don't worry about it. I'll be there. And so we tried to, as a family, figure it out from there. And I would work during the week and then fly out Friday night and uh, call the games and then right straight to the airport, sleep at Pearson Airport. And there's some fun stories in the book there, encounters with Bob Cole and all this kind of stuff in detail of how we ended up paying for the flights. But for a few seasons, that's what it was. And um, my mom kept saying to me that, you know, someday it's going to pay off. Someday all of the struggle and the hard work, it's going to pay off. And think of it just as a service you're giving back to the community and, uh, you know, it almost makes me emotional even just talking about it, sitting here with you guys today, Oilers Nation, uh, that, you know, it, I'm so lucky and grateful that it did pay off for me. And, and here I am today in front of you guys. It, it was it was a challenge. It was such a roller coaster ride uh, to make the show a success to help. And it's not just me. There's so many colleagues and people behind the scenes who helped. Um, but that was... Uh, when you're going through it and paying for your own flights and stuff, like I had no idea at the time so many people would find that fascinating. Uh, but that is, that if you're talking about, yeah, stories to tell, that that's a pretty cool one to tell because it's, it's a pretty rare thing to, to have done and to have had to happen <laughs> along the journey. I just want to shout your mom out for giving that like such good advice and believing in the long game of you pursuing your passion because a lot yeah. of parents wouldn't go that way. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I'm very, I'm very lucky to have, uh, have had supportive parents, especially, um, I don't know if you have any South Asian friends, it's usually parents are pushing doctor, lawyer, engineer, and this was like so different. 
Uh, and so I'm, I'm thankful they, they were willing to give me a shot, um, uh, like to let me have a shot. And they said, you know, if it doesn't work, I mean, up until the book, my dad was still been saying, why don't you go back and teach broadcasting? Uh, and because they're retired teachers, but now I think with the book coming out, um, I think they really uh, understand like this is, this still has a lot of potential. I'm still young in my career, still trying to figure out how to, you know, further myself along too. Uh, um, but uh, the book has been really special for myself personally, family, community, the show, and and Canada. I would say, Harner Ryan. I, I just want to before we let you, I just want to say like the world of hockey needs more people like you because the passion, the dedication. Just talking with you right now, like it, it's been amazing. I can't thank you enough uh, for your time and from everyone here at, at Oilers Nation and the Nation Network. Uh, we all look forward to reading the book, and uh, we wish you all the best, man. Like honestly, can't thank you enough for this. I really appreciate the love and yeah, the book's available at whatever independent store you get your books from or Amazon or chapters Indigo. So I really appreciate the, the support and, and maybe next time we'll just come on and chat about the current status of the Oilers. <laughs> I, I think we'll have Our to do that again. Run. Yeah. Yeah. Before the next yeah, uh, for playoff sure. run. Perfect. Thanks for your time, man. All right. Yeah. Thank you guys. Take care. Thank you. Perfect. That's Har- Harner Ryan Singh, Hockey Night in Punjabi. Man, that's a cool. That's a cool guy to get to chat to for like. We said we, I told his publicist we were going to go 20, 30 minutes. I think we went almost an hour with him, but impossible not to. I How can you not? Oh, well, that guy talks with so much passion. He's got such a good story. I want to credit you two guys. You asked fantastic questions. I just caught myself sitting back and like just listening because like. Like, yeah, that guy's super cool and cool, hell of a story. And he's pushing the game and changing, helping changing it for the better. So I just sat back and had like goosebumps the whole fucking time. Yeah. From, I mean, just from paying for, I, I just can't, I, again, I know I just asked him about it and he gave his breakdown, but having to pay his own airline, like his own airfare from Calgary to Toronto, just to make this happen and working and grinding. And then going from that to having a best selling book. It's pretty incredible. That's a pretty special story. Yeah, it, it was really cool. I highly suggest I they sent me a computer copy of the book, and I, I was reading through it over the weekends. Just some fascinating, fascinating stories in there. So I highly recommend everyone go check it out. One game at a time. Harner Ryan, Singh of Hockey Night in Punjabi. Uh, we've gone real long here today because of that great conversation, uh, but it was well worth it. Like I'm looking at my sheet in front of me here. And there's one, two, three things that three topics I didn't even get to with him. So I, I think we'll definitely have him on again. Uh, just shoot the shit, talk a little hockey as well. Uh, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Episode 225 100%. of the Real Life Podcast. You can tell he still loves the Oilers. Oh, he yeah. still loves the Oilers. So He's got we that gotta, passion. I know. Channel that. Bringing up the penalty kill and how bad <laughs> it was. It's just like, he knows. Yeah. He knows. It's still the beating heart in all of us. He's an Oilers fan. He jumped right into the penalty kill. <laughs> I like uh, I, I like when he was, he said, uh, he goes, oh, we'd be here. You know, the podcast would never end if we needed to talk about reasons the Oilers failed. And I wanted to jump in and say, how do you think we've gotten through 224 episodes of this? Like, <laughs> we know. Uh, that was good. All right. Our podcast, as always, brought to you by Oodle Noodle. 10% of all in-store proceeds go towards helping a local charity. Make sure you check out Oodle Noodle. Good for your hunger. Good for everyone around you as well. And also our friends at Twig and Berries. 15% off when you head to twigandberries.ca. You just got to use the promo code NATION15, whether it's for yourself, whether it's for a loved one. Remember, Christmas is coming. Check it out, twigandberries.ca. They also got a neat thing going on there if you're looking to set up a fundraiser. 
So check that out. All the details are up on their website. We also posted them on our uh, Twitter timeline as well at the real life or at Nation Real Life. Uh, yeah, that's gonna do it for episode two twenty five. It was without a doubt one of my favorites. So uh, big shout out again to Harn Ryan Singh of Hockey Night Punjabi for giving us some time. Uh, big shout out to you two as well. That was a lot of fun. That was great. Yeah, that was fun. All right, we'll be back at it on Thursday again with a fresh episode of the podcast. Until then, enjoy your week, nation citizens. Great job on making it through the entire hour of the Real Life Podcast. Don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer after for years to come try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com code buttery exclusions apply see site for details when it comes to your finances you think you've done it all you've saved you've researched and you've invested all that you can now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor yahoo finance As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.